I'll be reading uh, from Matthew 5, verses 1 through 16. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The word of the Lord. That was the last time any of our wonderful readers will have to read that passage this year. Well, definitely for a long time, at least in our worship services. So today we're concluding our look at the Beatitudes. And in a sense, if you would appreciate the expression, we've gone up and down the mountain with Jesus at the very beginning of his famous Sermon on the Mount. Now, I'm sure that I have added nothing to what has already been said about the Beatitudes for 2,000 years. Uh, but I do hope that we've, we've been able to clarify their meaning, uh, that we've been able to address some of our misunderstandings about the Beatitudes, and finally, that we've been able to make the Beatitudes applicable to our living to our daily lives. And that I hope you have seen throughout this mini series that these Beatitudes, these eight character traits are and must be applicable for us and for the Christian. Now, of course, they're not instructions on how to get to heaven. That's not what Jesus was doing, but they are observations of those who are blessed. They're Jesus's observations to describe those who are flourishing in this world, those who are truly living the good life and know the secret of pursuing happiness. So if the spirit of God is in you and therefore you are a new creation, these qualities will come out. These qualities must come out, not just one or two, but all of them. The Beatitudes are not merely a philosophical or theoretical concept. 
Jesus says, as he closes the Beatitudes in verse 16, so I'm, I'm kind of going to go backwards today with our passage, verses 13 through 16. He closes the Beatitudes by saying, let your light shine before others so that they may see, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, I'm convinced that the Beatitudes were meant to be lived because we see here Jesus expected them to be seen. Jesus expects these character traits to be seen by the world. And I hope you will see today as we conclude these Beatitudes that God's purpose for his blessedness in you is to bless others through you. And that concept goes all the way back to Genesis. God's blessing in you is to bless others through you. And as we unpack that, I want to talk about three things. The Christian life is, first of all, noticeable. The true Christian life is noticeable, and therefore it should be purposeful. But the only way that happens is if it's personal. The Christian life is noticeable. It is purposeful. And it is personal. Now, the Christian life, when it is truly lived, it is noticeable. People will notice it. Jesus winsomely challenges his followers, your lifestyle on account of me. Remember that expression from the persecuted beatitude, on account of me, because of me. Jesus is saying your lifestyle because of me will have an impact. Now, we saw earlier that the consequence will sometimes be persecution. But the goal, see, the goal is not to be persecuted. You don't ask to be persecuted. It happens as a consequence. The goal of living this way on account of Jesus, well, let's just see what it says. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's the goal. And to support this idea, Jesus invites his followers to consider two ideas, which basically are metaphors, salt and light. The first metaphor is salt. Jesus asks his followers to consider the saltiness of salt. In verse 13, he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. Now think about the practical qualities of salt. What is it good for? It's a food preservative, even especially for the ancient peoples. Salt preserves food. Salt enhances the flavor of food, and, and importantly, salt served as an antiseptic for germs and bacteria. So think about it, you meat eaters. Salt preserves your steak. It guards your steak against bacteria, and it makes your, it makes your steak taste better. When your eggs are bland to you, you sprinkle some salt on them. So the quality of Christians is that they enhance their surroundings. Without their presence in the world, the world would be bland. Even worse, the world would be rotting. And it is. My neighbor once said to me, just after a few months after we moved to Westminster, my neighbor said to me, you know, the street has changed since your family moved here. And what he meant was our kids 
just we moved in and our kids started playing outside because that's what they were used to. They just play outside. And so it turned out that as my kids started playing outside, other kids in the other houses began, it drew other kids out into the street and into the backyards because uh, they kind of run all over the place. So uh, it drew other, that's what he meant. He said, he said, your kids started playing outside and it drew other kids, including his own kids, out of their houses. And he said, now the street is full of the noise of playing children. And that was a beautiful thing to him. In a similar way, Jesus is saying, my followers will positively impact their surroundings. Now, when he says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything. When he says that, he's not asking us in a literalistic sense to consider the chemical properties of sodium chloride. He wasn't a scientist and he wasn't surrounded by modern scientists. That's not what he was doing there. But he's warning his listeners, if you don't live by your purpose, your impact is questionable. Consider your impact and whether you are not what you should be. And we know now that, that you do change salt's physical and chemical properties when you do what? When you dilute it in water, it changes. And that's basically Jesus's point. You no longer have salt. So Jesus is basically saying, live salty. Live salty. Actually, that's, that's the phrase for uh, Salt Life, the brand. That's the phrase for, for their bumper stickers and their products and, and their backpacks and their t-shirts, live salty. So Jesus is saying to his followers, live salty. Now, the second metaphor is different. He, he encourages his followers to consider the attractiveness of light. He says, you are the light of the world. So you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. And, and to talk about light, he offers two illustrations. He talks about a city on a hill and he talks about a lamp. Now, a city on a hill, just take, for instance, Nazareth, ancient and modern Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. A city that's placed on a hill topographically stands out against the flatness of the land around it, obviously. But for ancient travelers, a city exposed on a hill made it visible as they approached it in the wilderness. Therefore... Your life is like a city that is set on a hill. It must be, by necessity, noticeable. But the second illustration I want to spend a little bit more time on, he, he talks about a lamp. And he basically says, by nature of its brightness, contrasted against the surrounding darkness, a light will be, of necessity, seen. And, and as it is seen... Because everything else around it is dark, people are drawn to it. Even bugs are drawn to it. So by nature of blessedness, by nature of somebody's blessedness, salt, light, others will notice you. And others will be drawn to you. Not everybody. Some people will persecute you, but not everybody. Some people will notice and respond with worship 
and with life change. So God's blessedness in you is, is in a sense a way of saying to the world, here is a taste and here is a vision of God's coming kingdom. In a sense, these blessed ones that Jesus has been talking about all along, they live an invitation to the world to do what David many years before said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, who's going to taste and see God's goodness and finally give glory to him as their father in heaven? Both those who are inside the believing community and those who are outside the believing community. People will do because of what they see in you. People will do what they were created to do. They will glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what it means to be salt and light. Now, when you discover that something's useful, for instance, a lamp or a flashlight, when you discover that it is useful, you now consider how to best use it. Now, in verse 15, he says, people don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Now, that seems like a common sense observation, but it has profound implications, which is why he used it. Because of a light's effect, efficacy, there's the word, because a light is effective, because, because of a light's radiance, it's placed in the most accessible location possible, right? When you look at where lights are, they're typically in the center of the room on the ceiling. Or if you're camping, you put the light in the center of your tent. You don't take a lamp or a light or a flashlight and hide it in a cabinet or put it in a corner of a room as the only light. And you certainly don't leave it under your sleeping bag or your pillow. You strategically place a lamp where it can do the most good for the most number of people. So Christians must consider how to position ourselves strategically and effectively. The Christian life is noticeable, but the Christian life is purposeful. I would even say the Christian life is strategic. The Christian's task is to thoughtfully, prayerfully consider how each aspect of her life, of his life, flavors and projects. How does your life flavor the settings around you? How does your life project the light of God in you? That is our task as individuals. So my office, if you visited me uh, during a, a work day, my office is on Main Street. And it's not only because it was affordable and available when I moved into it. It is, it is affordable and available. It's strategic. I'm where I am because it's strategic. I have met people by proximity to my office that I have been able to pray for, that I have just met seemingly randomly that have even come and visited this church. I have met people by proximity to my office, which happens to be right next to a recovery center. I have met people, I have met 
desperate mothers of teenage addicts who simply knocked on my door to ask for prayer because they realized it was the office of a church. Because of proximity to where I work, my office, I have met, for instance, just recently, an immigrant sanitation worker for the city of Westminster. Somebody who is rarely seen, somebody who is probably never thanked, but keeps our parks safe for our children to play at. Somebody who walks around literally picking up heroin needles and used condoms so that our children can play safely on the playgrounds. And just to be able to say to somebody, thank you for what you do. We are grateful. Can I pray with you? And put your hand on their shoulder and maybe the only time in a decade that that person has ever been prayed for, been prayed over. It's not just about affordability and availability, if you're asking me when you look at the budget line item. It is about strategy and purposefulness. So apply that to your life. How can you think purposefully and strategically about projecting your life, about flavoring the setting in which you live or work or play? Where you choose to rent a house or buy a house matters to Jesus. How and when you take your breaks at work and how you may situate, situate your office or your cubicle at work matters to Jesus. Your parenting choices matter to Jesus. How you discipline, how you allow your children to interact with other children matters to Jesus. How you choose and where you choose to educate your children matters to Jesus. How you spend your money and save your money matters to Jesus. How you structure your free time matters to Jesus. How you use social media matters to Jesus. Because there's not only the consequence of persecution, there's the goal of impact. So the next time, if you're a Christian, the next time you see, oh, oh, before I say this, I'm going to share a really important uh, passage from the Apostle Paul. Paul really summarizes this whole idea well to the Colossians in chapter four when he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. Listen to this, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Strategy and purpose. So the next time, if you're a Christian, the next time you see a Salt Life bumper sticker, and you will probably very, very soon, don't just think, man, I need a beach vacation. Don't just think, I want to buy a boat. Or, I need to go fishing again. Uh, it's time to go surfing. I'm not saying you can't do those things. But the next time you see a Salt Life bumper sticker, just think to yourself, Jesus wants my Christianity to be purposeful and strategic. Jesus wants me to live salty. So are you salty? What do you taste like to people? Are you radiant? 
What do you look like to people? The phrase that Jesus used, if salt has lost its taste, that is an English paraphrase to the original Greek saying, which goes something like this. It's something like, if salt has been made foolish. That's interesting. If salt has been made foolish, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything. Foolish. See, there's an implication here that lacking effectiveness is very much the result of lacking wisdom. And we know from the Old Testament that wisdom is all about fearing God, making God the center of your life, the center of your purpose and your plans. Is the goal of your life, is the impact of your life that people will glorify God because of your influence? Or is the goal of your life and is the intended or unintended consequence that people are glorifying you or that you want them to glorify you. You don't have to want to be a celebrity to have this problem. Is the goal of your life that people will notice you, will appreciate you, will think about you, will remember you or your people or your cause? Is that the goal? Have you lost, Christian? Have you lost the taste of Jesus? To people? Have you lost the radiance of Jesus in you? Or when people look at you, do they see the kingdom of God coming? Or do they see you coming or going? Do they see when they look at you righteousness, peace, forgiveness, reconciliation with God? Or do they simply see you? and what you want, and what you're planning. I, I hope that at some point along the way in these last few months of looking at the Beatitudes that you've said to yourself when looking at any of these Beatitudes, oh, that's not me. I am not spiritually poor. I am not meek. I am not a peacemaker. I do not hunger and thirst for righteousness. I have never been persecuted. I hope at some point you've said that about yourself when you look at these qualities. Martin Laurie Jones said, these beatitudes crush me to the ground. They show me my utter helplessness. We should look at these beatitudes at any moment and go, oh, I don't have any salt to flavor my setting. I do not have any light to radiate. I don't project. And friend, I'm telling you right now, you got to get there. You've got to get there in your life. You've got to be able to, you've got to be able to look at what Jesus said on the mountainside and say, that is not me. Not most of the time, not all of them. You've got to get there because it's only there that you're in the right place. That's where you begin. You begin by realizing that that description does not describe you. Describe somebody else. 
So if your Christianity is going to be noticeable and if your Christianity is going to be purposeful and strategic, your Christianity has to become personal. It has to become about a person. Remember Jesus's words earlier in verse 11, on account of me, because of me, he said, right, to people who are being persecuted for hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He's really saying all of this is about me. Right? When, when these things happen to you because of me, he was doing, he was saying all of these beatitudes, they're all about me. He, 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 he was saying this isn't just philosophical, theoretical, this is personal. I'm the one that all of this is describing. And he proved it in many places in his teaching. The apostle John recorded things like Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then as he knew he was about to be betrayed, be betrayed by one of his friends, and as he knew he was about to be deserted, by all of his friends. And as he knew, he was about to be unjustly accused and tried and executed the following day. He made a meal for his friends. And when he broke the bread and when he poured that wine, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. So that David's invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good would finally be proved in Jesus himself, tasting him, seeing him, the salt of the earth, the true light of the world. And so if you hunger and thirst for righteousness and will be satisfied, if you hunger and thirst for Jesus and he satisfies you with his presence, then you will be salty. It is a promise. You will be light. It is his promise, but only in him, only through him, only by him. As Rachel talked to the kids before, he is the chocolate chips in your chocolate chip cookie, or it's not a chocolate chip cookie. He is the cream in your Oreo. He's the peanut butter in your peanut butter cup. He makes it what it is. He makes you what you are. Without him, you're not it. God's purpose in you. God's purpose for his blessedness in you is to bless others through you. God has caused you by the grace and power of his son and his spirit to flourish so that others, because of you, will flourish. The Beatitudes are lived only by Jesus, only through Jesus Christ in you. You cannot live them, you cannot live them alone by yourself in your power, because naturally you're putrid. Naturally, you are full of darkness, as am I. Jesus must season us up. 
Jesus shine through you so that what God promised, that ancient promise that he made to Abraham, who would be the father of all who are justified, all who have reconciliation with God because of faith in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So flavor your setting. Are you a student? Do you work in an office building or on a bridge or on a highway or in a classroom? Do you work at home in a basement office? Do you work at home surrounded by little people who get up and down off of high chairs, who you change constantly, who make messes behind you wherever you walk, who find you when you're hiding in the bathroom? Where are you? Where are you? Season it up. Season it up by Christ in you. Light it up by Christ in you. A preacher once said, the way people see the glory of God is you light yourself on fire and they watch you burn. Don't do that literally or try it at home. But that's the reality. Jesus in you accomplishes the Beatitudes. And through him, you flavor your world. Through him, you light up your world. And let's pray now that we will be individually and as a faith community, salt and light to Westminster and Carroll County. Our Father, we praise you for wisdom from the mountainside. We praise you for light and truth and meaning from the mountainside. We praise you for the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave us a beautiful vision of the kingdom of God, who gave us a beautiful vision of what humanity was intended to be and what it will someday again become. Father, we desperately cling to you. We have no light in of ourselves. We have no saltiness in and of ourselves. If it were not for you, we would be putrid and dark and no help at all to anybody around us. But you have blessed us. You have caused us to flourish by, by the death and, and the life of your son. And in Jesus, may we flourish. In Jesus, may we be tasty. In Jesus, may others want to taste and see that you are good. Oh, Lord Jesus, salt, flavor us up. Season us up. Lord Jesus, light us up that others may know that you are good. For your glory. Amen.